And so if you don't identify it and don't repair it, you do a tummy tuck, the belly button still looks crap. And then uh, you might need another surgery to fix the belly button hernia. Hey ReFam, my name is Kate and welcome back to Keeping It Real, the podcast answering all the hot topics. Today I'm joined by surgeons Dr Richard Bloom and Dr Kim Taylor to talk about hernias and diastasis recti or muscle separation for those of you that had to Google pronunciation like I have. Look, certainly not the sexiest podcast topic but it is super important to understand the difference between the two and what to look out for, especially for postpartum mums. Muscle separation is something that affects a huge amount of patients at RE and the more we talk about it and normalise the struggles so many women face, hopefully the closer we get to reinstating Medicare item numbers. So, without further ado, today we're covering a question as old as time. Is it diastasis rectus or an abdominal hernia? So we've spoken <laughs> we've spoken at length about muscle separation uh, and something that a lot of pregnant women have experienced, but also obviously it can happen to men and non-postpartum women not, and women that aren't postpartum. Um, can we please explain, maybe first we'll start with what exactly is muscle separation and how it can happen, how you can tell you have it. Okay, so uh, the muscles we're talking about are the six-pack muscles in your uh, the front of your tummy, so otherwise called your abdominal rectus muscles. Um, and uh, for people that have uh, done a lot of ab training and bodybuilding, they <laughs> look like six-pack, so uh, everybody has them. Most people, you just can't see them. Um, generally in women that have had pregnancy, what happens is because the baby and the expanding uterus is on the inside of those muscles, that the tissue actually between them, so um, it's called fascia, um, and it's a uh, reasonably strong in, in normal times um, layer of tissue that is uh, around the outside and between those muscles. And what happens with the expanding baby is that the um, that tissue can get stretched and then once the baby has been delivered um, everything kind of tries to go back to where it came from but often that tissue if it's been overstretched um, and again it's the bit of that analogy about the um, elastic band that it comes to a point where it's elastic and then it stops um, being able to stretch anymore and doesn't return back to the original position. And so it's very, very variable between women. So um, sometimes if they had one pregnancy, there's not so much of a gap between the, the muscles or not so much of stretch, but um, multiple pregnancies, twin pregnancies, large babies, um, the more times you have a pregnancy, the more likelihood there's going to be a stretch between um, those muscles and with time after delivery of the baby there will be some um, improvement on that and a lot of women get um, recommended exercises and physio but there's no great evidence of how much that works and how um, much it can improve things rather than just the natural um, improvement that time is uh, time's a good healer but um, it, it will close the gap somewhat but very very rarely um, will bring it back to 
where it was before the pregnancy. And can you tell if you have muscle separation just yourself or do you need to probably go see a surgeon or another doctor? Combination. Generally, yes. So the best way, firstly, some people will just know because they're at a normal body weight and yet when they stand up, they've sort of got a tummy that looks like they're pregnant. Uh, One way that you can actually feel the separation, and this is sort of a, a bit of an area of controversy because... I don't believe that the actual amount of separation is the full story. But if you're lying down on a bed and you do a double straight leg raise, so lift both legs up straight at the knees and put your hand on your tummy around your belly button, your rectus abdominis muscle will be contracted so it'll be hard and you'll be able to feel an edge. And so you'll feel an edge on the right side and an edge on the left side and for all those you at, of you at home who are actually doing this at the moment. Um, like the, you are in, uh, like in the podcast at the moment too. Uh, you, you'll be able, the, the distance between your, your fingers is what traditionally people call the, the gap. Now, the reason I say this is controversial is because there's no standardised uh, discussion about whether the gap is relevant when you're standing, lying or contracting your muscle. And it's likely that it's going to be different in all those three circumstances. So when, for example, uh, the government is talking about reintroducing the Medicare item number and they want to put a measurement in for what the gap is for you to qualify, there's no science behind what that gap should, should be. And it's also not the full story because the gap is only, is only one part. There, there's an, there are other muscles that actually insert or attach into the sides of those muscles, the oblique muscles. So anyone who's doing uh, uh, sit-ups where you twist at the top, that's the oblique muscles that are engaging there. But when your rectus muscle is, is loose and then you've got another muscle attaching into that, that muscle is then loose. So when we tighten the muscles... We're rejuvenating the whole abdominal wall. It's not just narrowing the gap is sort of how you tighten the wall, but you're actually tightening the whole abdominal wall. So the the gap is one part of it and it's one way you can measure it, although there's no standardisation, but it's more than just the gap. It's tightening the entire tummy wall that is the important factor in getting a, a good improvement. I like the analogy of that, that it's like wearing a corset um, that is not completely done up. So imagine if you've got a a, um, a corset that's got lots and lots of hooks and eyes all up the front and there's a, um, whatever the gap is in the middle of that, whether it's two centimetres, three centimetres, five centimetres, it's not going to give you normal support if it's undone in the middle. So I, I completely agree with Richard that the measurement is... Um, not so important, more the function. And the other thing, the other test that I do when I'm doing that is actually a half sit-up. So if you know patients of mine that have already been assessed by me, they'll know that I do the double straight leg raise and also the half sit-up with the legs down. And both of those two tests often give quite a significantly different um, response and the examination is different um, in, in almost every patient. Like One of those two tests often makes the tummy bulge out more than the other. Um, so, you know. I agree. Can I ask you a question? 
Sure. How many times do you have to explain to patients how to do a double straight leg raise? I think I must explain it really well. Last time I said. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> All right. So on the other end of this, what exactly is a hernia and how can you tell you have one in your abdomen? Okay. So some, some people confuse the two and, and there are some similarities between the two because as Kim was talking about, the gap, which is the divarication, is a weakness in the abdominal wall, which sort of is what a hernia is. So a hernia is – but a hernia is more of a gap in the abdominal wall. So where there's a, a bit of a crossover is the, the, the tissue between the muscles gets a bit thin, and so that's a vulnerable point then to create a gap or, or, or a, a bridge, hole. a hole, which is then a hernia. Um, generally, a divarication is not classified as a hernia – but some surgeons who are not as – help me out, Kim, without getting me in trouble – who are not as – Educated. No, experienced. Qualified. No. Learned. <laughs> None of those things. I mean, we are all of those things. Moral. Moral, thank you. Oh. Ethical. Uh, sometimes use the hernia Medicare item number um, for uh, this surgery – uh, which is not appropriate because it's it's actually not a hernia. A hernia actually needs some uh, tissue protruding out through it to be a true hernia. But but they often coexist. Can a muscle separation cause a hernia? It can lead to a, a weakness or a vulnerability whereby you can um, develop a hernia, the most common of which would be around the belly button because that's already thin. And then if, it's, if the muscles are separated, there's even more thinning of those tissues and so it becomes a very vulnerable point. And it's quite common in an abdominoplasty. And I would maybe say, if you're actually looking for it, it might be 10 20% of patients who not only have a muscle separation but they've got a small hernia around their belly button, either through the actual belly button or adjacent to it or above or below it, generally above. And it's also super common for that to um, show up during pregnancy. So if when you've had your pregnancy, your belly button has looked incredibly stretched and um, an outy rather than even just an innie or a flat, um, then once you've delivered the baby, it's reasonably common to end up with a small hernia through, the, through your belly button. But an outy is generally a hernia. Oh, I just thought all pregnant women had that. <laughs> no. A lot of them do. A lot of them do. Um, but um, it, and it, it's often um, people – and I see patients who – they've seen other surgeons and I don't know whether they don't examine them or they're not looking for it or what it is, but I'll, I will identify a hernia either in the belly button or above it or below it and I'll point that out to patients and, and they may have seen – you know, one or two surgeons before and no one's ever um, pointed that out. But it is an important thing to identify for a couple of reasons. Firstly, it's not uncommon that we do liposuction at the same time as a tummy tuck. So if there's a hernia that we don't know about, that puts you at high risk to when you're doing – or not high risk, but it, it raises the potential – that the liposuction cannula can go through that defect and cause damage to intra-abdominal organs. So that's why we always will assess someone for hernias when we're doing a tummy tuck. 
But the other uh, side of it is when everything's open and you're doing a tummy tuck, that's an ideal time to actually repair the hernia. And so if you don't identify it and don't repair it, you do a tummy tuck, the belly button still looks crap, and then uh, you might need another surgery to fix the belly button hernia. Kim, do you, how do you repair a hernia? Um, so one, you've got to identify it and uh, generally, as Richard said, when we're repairing hernias, we're doing that in association with an abdominoplasty. And so you need to find the edges of where that hole is. Um, generally, the ones that we're repairing are pretty small, so fingertip sort of size, uh, and we stitch it clothes, so sew it up. Um, if there's a big hernia, so uh, probably more common in patients that may have had previous surgery, so that's called an incisional hernia. So when the um, tissues that we're talking about before between the muscles have either not been sewn up well or have then um, split apart whilst they're healing from their previous surgery, then there can be a bulge through um, that previous scar and um, if it's a large bulge or a large gap then sometimes we would uh, enlist another surgeon so a, a general surgeon um, who then can do some other techniques in terms of closing those hernias uh, and again sometimes need to have not just sutures to close that um, but also some mesh over the top of uh, top of that. So it's pretty uncommon um, when I examine patients. If you if you find a hernia, it's generally pretty small, um, and generally those ones that are through or the, to the side of the belly button, um, they can be tricky to fix, even though they're very small. Because the way we do a tummy tuck, we keep the belly button attached to the abdominal wall, and so you have to very very carefully close those hernias to not risk the blood supply to the to the belly button. Do you always have a bulge when you have a hernia? Yes. And it'll be more prominent when you're straining. So if you're increasing your intra-abdominal pressure, so let's say coughing or straining or doing a sit-up as we're talking about, uh, that's when it's going to become more obvious. Now, what is in that bulge is generally fat. So it's gen they're generally not the types of hernias that cause medical complications. You might hear about a strangulated hernia and people have to be rushed off to hospital because uh, they're, um, they've got severe pain and there's complications going on. It's usually There's a layer of fat that sits there underneath of the muscle and in front of all of the organs called extraperitoneal fat. So just to get a bit technical, the peritoneum is the, sort of a lining over the over the intestines and between that layer and the muscle, there's a layer of fat. And usually what we're seeing in a belly button hernia or some of these smaller epigastric hernias that Kim's been talking about, it's usually that fat. So usually, uh, you, as Kim said, you, you identify the edges of the hernia, you push that fat back or trim it off, then repair that hole. And the beauty about doing that when we're doing a, a belly button, a, a muscle repair is that you're then doing the muscle repair over the top of that. So it's like a, if you think of a double-breasted jacket, it's sort of a two-layer repair. So you've got the underneath repair, which is what you do, that's what a, a, you do with a standard operation in repairing a hernia, but on top of that, 
we're closing the muscle repair over the top of that. So uh, it, the, basically that hernia is gone. It, can, it cannot come back, whereas uh, often our general surgical colleagues might put a, some mesh over it, um, but, but that's not going to be as reliable, plus introducing a foreign material uh, compared to how we're re- repairing it. Um, and I just want to make clear that there's a couple of types of hernia that we're not at all talking about. So um, there's there are quite a number of other types of hernias. So Can um, I guess? No. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Uh, inguinal. Inguinal. So um, this is much more common in men, um, but women can get them as well. So that's a bulge. Um, that happens in the groin, and it's often actually quite uncomfortable, and that's your classic um, cough test that um, uh, doctors can do to assess those. So that that is not something that, as plastic surgeons, we deal with. Um, it doesn't get fixed during an abdominoplasty. And the other type of hernia is... Femoral? No, you, you went too tricky. Um, <laughs> the other type is a hiatus hernia. So that's actually... Um, Inside the abdomen, so that uh, that definitely is not something that plastic surgeons would deal with as well, and that's something that tends to um, patients tend to that have that tend to have um, reflux or um, you know inside stomach type of issues. So uh, those are things don't come and see us for them. Spigelian hernia. <laughs> we can maybe fix that. So um, you said that the hernias that come. Th- like abdominal hernias are fat. Does that mean they're soft or are they hard? Soft. Right. Uh, well, I expected a little more from that question. <laughs> <laughs> Does a hernia... But, but not always, obviously. Because never... No, Jay. Does a hernia hurt all the time? Like, How do you really know you have one? Usually no. Uh, most patients uh, that we are talking about often don't even know they have have a hernia. And uh, as Richard said, they may have seen other surgeons before and were examining them and go, oh, you've got a little hernia through your belly button and then they kind of look a bit shocked and surprised and it's like, you know, don't stress this actually. It's it's fine, it's common, it's nothing dramatic, it's very unlikely to cause you any problems. And, and the, re- the other reason why it doesn't cause problems, as I said before, there's usually not bowel in these things, but the opening is, um, is very direct and so you sort of can't get anything in there that gets twisted. So when hernias, like the inguinal hernias Kim was talking about, cause problems is is tissue, usually bowel has gone into the hernia and then it's twisted. Um, and so those hernias kind of go down a bit of a tract and then end up... They can uh, get stuck. They can get stuck and twist on themselves. Whereas most, all of these hernias, uh, they're very, they're, it's just a direct hole and so basically when you're lying down it just all the contents of the hernia just drops back into the intestines if that makes sense disgusting um (laughs) what happens if it just is left untreated Uh, in the vast majority of people no issues whatsoever um occasionally that the small globules of fat can um can get stuck and would be pain for a a few days and probably go away um occasionally people would have um, present to hospital with a um, umbilical or belly button hernia that had pain in it, um, but it, it, probably more than ninety nine percent of people have no problems with them whatsoever. Well, except that an ugly belly button is one of the my bugbears of of tummy tuck surgery. So uh, I don't understand why people would not put 
uh, time and effort into creating a nice belly button. So there's a couple of things that go into that. So firstly, the shape that you make it, and Kim and I both sort of do a variation of an upside-down heart shape. Um, and But some people do these weird round circle things, which just looks totally unnatural. But the main uh, – or, or one of the uh, – issues is if you don't fix the hernia you don't get sort of any in um, depth to your belly button so it stays sort of flush with the skin which obviously doesn't isn't uh, one of the hallmarks of an attractive belly button don't give away all the trade secrets i didn't give any secrets it's just a vaguely <laughs> vaguely referred to I the show i was taking notes <laughs> and just before we wrap up I know that muscle separation and tummy tucks is something that we have shone plenty of light on here at RE and something both you, Richard and Kim, are very passionate about. Did you just really want to surmise how important tummy tuck and um, muscle separation surgery is for our patients? We've obviously gone over this in a previous podcast and if anyone hasn't listened to that podcast please go back and listen to Tina's story because it is very compelling. But these are not purely aesthetic operations. These, uh, The muscle separation is a real medical condition. It has real symptoms, um, both definitely physical and also uh, emotional in terms of women being able to uh, get back to work, um, exercise, urinary incontinence, back pain and even simple things like being able to sit up out of bed and wear clothes and and um, and and not not um, be referred to as being pregnant all of the time which if you're not pregnant is um, I imagine not not a whole lot of fun so this is a serious operation it it's um, it's one of the great operations that Kim and I do where there's not only, an aesthetic improvement, but there is also a significant functional improvement. And we've got a lot of stories from patients who, uh, after this sort of surgery, have have seen improvements in their functionality that they had actually didn't realise were so bad, had got to such a bad point, and then have, have resolved after this operation. So if you're listening to this and the item number hasn't been reinstated... Um, it's it, it'd be such a shame, but hopefully that's going to change. Amazing. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks, Kate. Thanks, Kate. If you liked this episode of Keeping It Real, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, why don't you have a flick through our past episodes? We'd love to hear your requests for future topics, so send your suggestions through to us on IG at Replastic Surgery. That's all for today and we'll catch you next time for another peek into the world of plastic surgery.